today's reading for the um, Cedar Rapids Gazette for February 17th, 2024. Um, today is Saturday. I am your reader, Katherine Davis. Uh, here's our first story. On the front page, um, there is a photo of um, a group of people um, uh, sitting in sort of auditorium style uh, chairs wearing um, dresses and suits. Um, the caption is, new citizens from 30 countries around the world pledge allegiance to the United States during a Friday naturalization ceremony at the National Czech um, and Slavic Museum and Library in Cedar Rapids. Um, below this photo are two others. One is of a woman in a yellow suit with a yellow hijab um, where, uh, holding a American flag. The other is um, a photo of someone's hand also carrying a flag. Um, it, the one of the photos is captioned, New citizens were given a mini American flag during their naturalization ceremony Friday in Cedar Rapids. Um, the one under uh, the woman in the yellow suit is titled Intisara Mohammed, who migrated, immigrated to the United States from Sudan, uh, Sudan, sorry, smiles during her naturalization ceremony. The new citizens completed extensive paperwork, um, interviews, language, and civic tests before taking the oath of allegiance, uh, in the United States. And it looks like, um, there's no article attached to these photos. Um, the article below these photos on the first page is titled Air Force Helicopter Lands at Iowa City West to show students a little magic. Um, and there's also a photo um, um, of a man in like military fatigue standing outside a helicopter, like a boxy blue green helicopter. It's on the ground and on like in like a field. The field seems to be covered in some frost. Um, Kids in, like, sweaters and sweatshirts are also crowding around the helicopter, too. Um, article by Grace King. An Air Force helicopter landed on the practice field at Iowa City West High School on Friday, giving students in the school's aerospace engineering program a close-up look at the machine and a chance to talk to pilots about flying. The pilots were flying to the helicopter from Minot Air Force Base, or Minute, M-I-N-O-T, based in North Dakota to North Carolina for routine maintenance. Captain Nicholas Sanchez, an intelligence analyst who was part of the crew, said the stop is part of the Air Force's effort to get high school students interested in aviation and possibly the Air Force. A helicopter, if you think about it, is a little bit like magic, said Sanchez, a 2018 University of Iowa graduate that prompts a lot of uh, curiosity. Captain Nicholas Sanchez of the U.S. Air Force 54th Helicopter Squadron instructs high, West High School students to look over the UHIN Huey helicopter his crew landed on the school's practice field Friday. Um, I apologize. What I just said was the caption for the photo I mentioned. Um, helicopters slash schools focus on STEM. Um and amazement, curiosity and amazement in students. 
If a helicopter had shown up to my high school, I probably would have signed on the dotted line a lot quicker, Sanchez said, about enlisting in the Air Force. A friend who graduated from West put Sanchez in touch with West High's principal. Sanchez reached out to the school to schedule the stop on the helicopter's way to the East Coast. Students were able to climb aboard the helicopter to explore and take photos. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for students like us, said West High School senior Ryan Dick, 17, who plans to go to Iowa State University this fall to study aerospace engineering. The helicopter, a UH-1N Huey, is a light-lift utility helicopter used to support various Air Force missions, including the transport of security forces, disaster response, search and rescue, and medical evacuations. Um, Dick, the high school, the West High student, said he's taken all the engineering and engineering adjacent classes available to him at West and was even more excited when he learned it was a Huey helicopter that would be landing. They don't tend to land helicopters on school grounds every day, he said. It's the first major transport helicopter in the U.S., most notably used in the Vietnam War. It's a major piece of aerospace history still used in service today. Quinn Hett, 16, a junior at West High, also has taken engineering courses and is interested in the space industry. I've never seen a military hop- helicopter this close, he said. This is really cool. Seeing a helicopter up close for the first time was very exhilarating for Kiera um, Herdes, or um, Gerdes, um, G-E-R-D-E-S, uh, 16, a West sophomore taking her first engineering class. I wish they would let us fly it, she said with a smile. STEM fields. Dominic um, Adia, the Iowa City Schools Career and Technical Education and Computer Science Curriculum Coordinator, said students in the aerospace engineering class use software that is pretty realistic in stimulating flying airplanes and helicopters. It's nothing like the real thing where they can feel the blades pushing wind and see the beautiful piece of engineering machinery land, he said. The goal of classes such as aerospace engineering is to get students passionate about careers in science, technology, engineering, and math, Adia said. In the next decade, careers in this field are going to explode, he said. Engineering classes are offered at all three high schools in the Iowa City District, West City and Liberty. Keith Crablin, an engineering teacher at West, said some students know they want to be engineers when they grow up. Others are curious, take a class, and find out that they um, quote-unquote hate it, he said, adding he's glad they have the opportunity to figure out while they're still in high school. The Iowa City Community School District is making concentrated, concerted efforts to expand its college, career, and technical education programs. The goal, Adia said, is to have a pathway for students to explore a career through rigorous classes. From there, students can continue their education while in high school at Kirkwood Community College and be eligible their senior year for an apprenticeship for on-the-job experience. The district already offers registered apprenticeships in nursing and welding and manufacturing. Two years ago, the district bought a new building at 301 at ACT Drive, 301 Act Drive, perhaps, in Iowa City to house the Center for Innovation, a project-based learning program where students can career can explore career paths, interests. Excuse me. 
Students in the district will get to explore courses in career and technical education as early as sixth grade as the district transitions from a, from a junior high to a middle school model this fall. All right. Um, on the first page, um, to the, uh, there are two columns on its right. Um, the one at the top is titled Trump. His companies must pay $355 million in fraud case. NY judge ruling a blow to ex-president his companies. And then there is a, a small photo of uh, Donald Trump um, as like a headshot. Article by the Associated Press. New York. Um, a New York judge ordered Donald Trump and his companies on Friday to pay $355 million, finding they engaged in a years-long scheme to dupe banks and others with financial statements that inflated his wealth. Um, Trump won't have to pay out the money immediately as an appeals process plays out, but the verdict still is a stunning setback for the former president. If he's ultimately forced to pay the magnitude of the penalty, on top of the er of earlier judgments, could dramatically diminish his financial resources, and it undermines the image of a successful businessman that he's carefully tailored to, a pow to power his unlikely rise from a reality television star to a one-time and perhaps future president. Trump, who built his reputation as a real estate titan, also was barred from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation for three years or from, from getting a loan from banks registered in his native state. Um, this article continues to page eight. Um, Trump lawyers, uh, Trump slash lawyers vow to appeal ruling. His oldest sons, Trump Organization Executive Vice Presidents Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, each were ordered to pay $4 million and barred from being officers of New York companies for two years. Former Chief Financial Officer Alan uh, Weiselberg was ordered to pay him $1 million. The total $364 million verdict keeps the Trump Organization in business. The judge... Um, backed away from an earlier ruling that would have dissolved the former president's companies, but if upheld, the verdict will force a shakeup at the top of the company. Trump lawyers vowed to appeal. Attorney Alina Haba called the verdict manifest injustice and um, the culmination of a multi-year politically fueled witch hunt. Trump lawyer Christopher uh, Kise, uh, K-I-S-E, uh, called the outcome a draconian and unconstitutional fine and a corporate death penalty for Trump, his family, and his business. Judge author Arthur Ingorn issued his decision after a 2.5-month trial that saw the Republican presidential frontrunner bristling under oath that he was the victim of a rigged legal system. Ngoron concluded that expert witnesses who testified for the defense simply denied reality and that Trump and his um, co-defendants failed to accept responsibility for their actions. They did not rob a bank at gunpoint. Donald Trump is not Bernard Madoff. Yet defendants are incapable of admitting the error of their ways, wrote Ngoron, a Democrat. He said their complete lack of contri contrition and remorse borders on pathological. Wow. The frauds found here leap off the page and shock the conscience, the judge added. 
Um, the stiff penalty was a victory for New York Attorney General Letitia James, um, a Democrat, who sued Trump over what she said was not just harmless bragging, but years of deceptive practices as he built the multinational collection of skyscrapers, golf courses, and other properties that catapulted him to wealth, fame, in the White House. James sued Trump in 2022 under a state law that authorizes her to investigate persistent fraud in business dealings. The suit accused Trump and his co-defendants of routinely puffing up his financial statements to create an illusion his properties were more valuable than they really were. State lawyers said Trump exaggerated his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion one year. By making himself seem richer, Trump qualified for better loan terms, saved on interest, and was able to complete projects he might otherwise not have finished, state lawyers said. Even before the trial began, Ingram ruled that James had proved Trump's financial statements were fraudulent. The judge ordered some of Trump's companies removed from his control and dissolved. An appeals court put that decision on hold. In that earlier ruling, the judge found that, among other tricks, Trump's financial statements had wrongly claimed his Trump Towers penthouse was nearly three times its actual size and overvalued his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach, Florida, based on the idea that the property would be developed for residential use, even though he had surrendered rights to develop it for any uses but a club. Trump, one of 40 witnesses to testify at the trial, said his financial statement actually understated his net worth and that banks did their own research and were happy with his business. There is no victim, there is no anything, Trump testified in November. During the trial, Trump called the judge extremely hostile and the attorney general a political hack. In a six-minute diatribe during closing arguments in January, Trump proclaimed, I am an innocent man, and called the case a fraud on me. Trump and his lawyers have said the outside accountants that helped prepare the statements should have flagged any discrepancies and that the document came with disclaimers that shielded him from liability. They also argued that some of the allegations were barred by the statute of limitations. The suit is one of many legal headaches for Trump as he campaigns for their return to the White House. He has been indicted four times in the last year, accused in Georgia and Washington, D.C., of plotting to overturn his 2020 election loss to Democrat Joe Biden, and Florida of hoarding classified documents, and in Manhattan of falsifying business records related to hush money said paid to porn actor Stormy Daniels on his behalf. On Thursday, a judge confirmed Trump's hush money trial will start on March 25th, and a judge in Atlanta heard arguments on whether to remove Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis from his Georgia election interference case because she had a personal relationship with with a special prosecutor she hired. Those criminal accusations haven't appeared to undermine his march toward the Republican presidential nomination, but civil litigation has threatened him financially. On January 26, a jury ordered Trump to pay $83.3 million to writer E. Jean Carroll for defaming her after she accused him of 2019, in 2019 of sexually assaulting her in a Manhattan department store in the 1990s. That's on top of the $5 million a jury awarded Carroll in a related trial last year. In 2022, the Trump Organization has convicted a tax fraud, was convicted of tax fraud, 
and fined $1.6 million in an unrelated criminal case for helping executives dodge taxes on extravagant perks such as Manhattan apartments and luxury cars. James had asked the judge to impose a penalty of at least $370 million. Ingram decided the case because neither side sought a jury and state law doesn't allow for juries for this type of lawsuit. Because it was civil, not criminal, the case did not carry the potential of prison time. James, who campaigned for office as a Trump critic and watchdog, started scrutinizing his business practices in March 2019 after his personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, testified to Congress that Trump exaggerated his wealth on financial statements provided to uh, Douche Bank, D-E-U-T-S-C-H-E Bank, while trying to obtain financing to buy the NFL's Buffalo Pills. James' office previously sued Trump for misusing his own charitable foundation to further his political and business interests. Trump was ordered to pay $2 million to an array of charities as a fine, and the charity, the Trump Ort Foundation, was shut down. Trump incorporated the Trump Organization in New York in 1981. He still owns it, but he put his assets into a recoverable... Oh, sorry, excuse me. He put his assets into a revocable trust and gave up his positions as the company's director, president, and chairman when he became president, leaving management of the company to Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr. Trump did not return to a stated leadership position upon leaving the White House in 2021, but his sons testified he's been involved in some decision-making. Engoron has already appointed a monitor, retired federal judge Barbara Jones, to keep an eye on the company. All right. Um, this article also includes one photo of Donald Trump walking out of a large sort of mansion-like place with um, big um, arches and columns and, and fences and some uh, palm trees around the side. It's titled is captioned, Republican presidential candidate and former President Donald Trump speaks Friday at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and then there's also a photo of Arthur Ingram Arthur in his, um, what's it called, uh, judge's robes, uh, sitting in his um, the a seat in court behind an American flag, in front of an American flag. Um, it's captioned Arthur, Judge Arthur Ingram presides over former President Donald Trump's civil fraud case, October 17th, 2023, at New York State Supreme Court in New York. And then there's also another sort of like headshot of Letitia Jones, uh, the New York Attorney General. Um, going back to page one, below this column on the right side is one more titled Time Almost Up for Dems to Request Caucus Cards by Tom Barton for the uh, Gazette Des Moines Bureau. More than 17,500 Iowa Democrats have requested mail-in caucus cards by Friday morning to participate in the party's 2024 presidential nominating contest. In 2012, the last time a Democratic incumbent was on the ballot when... Then President Barack Obama ran, excuse me, in 2012, the last time a Democratic incumbent was on the ballot when then President Barack Obama ran for re-election 
about 15,000 Democrats voted at their caucus sites, the Iowa Democratic Party said in a news release. The number, though, is a fraction, less than 3% of the nearly 658,000 registered Democratic voters in the state. In comparison, more than 110,000 Iowa Republicans cast votes January 15th and the first in Thanathon. 2024 Iowa Republican Presidential Precinct Caucuses, or 15% of the more, um, and then it continues on to page uh, 10, excuse me. Um, in comparison, more than 110,000 Iowa Republicans cast votes January 15th in the first in Denethon, 2024 Iowa Republicans Presidential Precinct Caucuses are 15% of the more than 750,000 registered Republican voters in the state. Of the 17,510 requests for mail-in Democrat reference cards, more than 16,000 have been mailed to households, and more than 6,000 cards have been returned, according to the Iowa Democratic Party. This is a final weekend for Iowa Democrats to request their 2024 presidential preference cards. The deadline to submit a request for a presidential preference card is 11.59 p.m. on Monday. Democrats can request a card at iowademocrats.org slash caucus. That's iowademocrats.org slash caucus. Um, Iowa Democrats have until March 5th to return their preference card, and it must be postmarked by then to be accepted. Party officials strongly encourage cards to be returned through the mail and not dropped off at the Iowa Democratic Party headquarters or local county party offices. New batches of preference cards are mailed out every Monday and arrive within 24 hours. The Iowa Democratic Party has a team of staff members providing assistance and answering questions about the new mail-in process. Those with last-minute questions can call 515-216-3893. That's 515-216-3893. A party spokesperson said returned preference cards are stored in a secure location and will begin being tabulating around March 1st. Um, results will be announced March 5th, Super Tuesday, when more than a half dozen other states will hold presidential primaries. The party's new cards will include the names of incumbent President Joe Biden and two long-shot challengers, U.S. Republican, uh, sorry, U.S. Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota and author Mary Ann Williamson, who last week suspended her campaign along with an option to remain uncommitted. While it's clear that President Biden will be our nominee, it's important Iowa Democrats participate in our mail-in caucus so that we can set ourselves up for success in 2028 and beyond, Iowa Democratic Party Chair Rita Hart said in a statement. National Democrats last year reshaped their presidential nominating calendar, booting Iowa from being first in the nation and removing Iowa from the group of early states entirely. The decision following it followed a chaotic 2020 caucus night for Iowa Democrats when a smartphone app meant to make reporting results easier failed. As a result, the official Democratic caucus results were not reported for several weeks. State party leaders have been critical of the Democratic National Committee's involvement in delaying development of the app and then demanding additional technology that failed on caucus night. 
The debacle compounded existing concerns about Iowa's lack of racial diversity and barriers to participation. The Iowa Democratic Party put forward the mail-in proposal to make the caucuses more accessible, which was one of the main criticisms. Following the 2020 presidential election, many national party leaders expressed a preference for primary elections over party-run caucuses. Republicans have found have roundly criticized the decision, saying Democrats have turned their back on Iowa and rural America. National Democratic Party leaders have said they would revisit the presidential nominating calendar for 2028. Um, and then below is a photo of uh, Rita Hart standing in front of a microphone in what looks to be like a big assembly of people sitting at white tables. Um, below her is a official sample of what I think is... Uh, yeah, the um, the caucus card. It's captured. These two are captioned official sample of the Iowa Democrats Party's new 2024 presidential prefer. Iowa Rita Hart, chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, speaks February fourth, twenty twenty three. Um. Yep. And then continuing on to, I can't be right. Continuing on to a two. Um, it's Iowa Today on the left side of page A2 is a column titled, What Are Women Farmers Most Stressed About? A UI Study Found Out. Research Factored in Time Pressures, Relationships, External Stressors. Article by Brittany Miller. The Gazette heavy workloads, market instability, and environmental concerns top the list of stressors for women farmers in Iowa, according to recent University of Iowa research. Uh, since the farm crisis in the 1980s, there has been more research about mental health among farmers and ranchers. More studies predominantly focused on men, leaving a big gap in knowledge about female farmers' stress levels. Uh, Carly Nichols, UI Assistant Professor of Geographical and Sustainability Sciences, and her collaborator Jonathan Davis, UI Research Assistant Professor of Occupational Environmental Health, wanted to fill in some blanks. From November 2020 to February 2021, the team sent surveys to women farmers who qualified as farm operators. The surveys asked respondents to consider the impacts of different stressors. A 36-item list the research team created and dubbed the Women's Women Farmer Stress Inventory. The woman would rate each item from 1, indicating no stress, to 5, indicating extreme stress. Both researchers analyzed the data from nearly 600 respondents to identify primary stressors. The results published November in the peer-reviewed Journal of Rural Health uncovered some of the most impactful factors to women farmers' mental health. The category most stressful to respondents involved revolved around time pressure and workload. Many women farmers, especially younger respondents, said they juggled too many tasks and didn't have enough time to properly complete them. They also said high workloads meant they didn't have enough time to spend with loved ones, loved ones and to take care of themselves. External stressors also played major roles. Such factors included market instability, difficulties making profits, uncertainty about federal farm policies, and fear of making mistakes with marketing decisions. Concern about health 
insurance also ranked high while Nichols said or Nichols um N I C H O L S said deviates from similar previous studies about male farmers. Health insurance really cut across this whole small farm, large farm, younger, older divide of their data set, she said. It also could be contributing to time stress if women have to go and maintain employment, not just for financial reasons, but for health insurance reasons. Many respondents noted stress about environmental issues like uncertainty with climate change impacts, weather unpredictability, increased droughts, and soil fertility. Women with smaller farms were more likely to be more stressed about this category, Nichols said. Um, several other also showed concerns about their interpersonal relationships, like feeling obligated to continue a family farm or dealing with a farm ownership transition. The stressors that ranked the lowest or least stressful were about rural, rural amenities like nearby health services, shops, and community. I found that interesting because there's a lot of press around closure of hospitals, Nicole said. It highlights the need to listen to the voices of people that are there. She also noticed that, noted that farmers weren't, aren't the only residents in rural communities and aren't wholly representative of rural perspectives. Nichols noted that the study captured data on women farmers who own their farmland, so it isn't representative of the stressors that new and, and beginning farmers experience. The findings indicate a need for re future research. Nichols suggested studies that directly compare male and female farmers' stress levels. She also wants to explore the gray area of what defines women farmers versus women landowners. Women in row crop production agri agriculture think they are largely overlooked, she said. It was just really interesting to hear their perspective out about being a woman in this very male-dominated industry. Um, Brittany J. Miller is the energy and environment reporter for the Gazette and a core member from Report for America, a national service program that places journalists in local newsrooms to report on undercovered issues. Um, before before I go any farther on page two, I'd like to say that you are listening to the Cedar Rapids Gazette on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Katherine Davis. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. That's 515-243-6833. Um, the article uh, to the right of this, not in a column, is titled, Orchestra Iowa Announces Concert Master with Iowa Ties. Um, Julia Sakharova, Sakharova, S-A-K-H-A-R-O-V-A, Fills post empty since before the pandemic. Article by Diana Nolan. The Gazette, Cedar Rapids. Violinist Julia Sarkarova will rosen up her bow tonight to rock out at Orchestra Iowa's new concert master during a Pops concert celebrating the music of Elton John and Billy Joel. Sarkarova fills a position that has been empty since before the pandemic set in. Orchestra Iowa maestro Timmy Hankowicz announced her appointment at 5 p.m. Friday during a happy hour with maestro Tim over Facebook Live from the Opus Concert Cafe next to the Paramount Theater. 
Julia brings tremendous talent, tremendous talent to the orchestra Iowa stage, uh, Hankowitz said in a statement, and we're thrilled to have her. She's filled in a couple times as guest concertmaster, so I already know she's going to be a great fit with our musicians, and our patrons will love her too. The concertmaster is a critical leadership position that directly affects the sound of the entire string section, he said. The role requires a unique combination of skill, experience, and personality. Junia has those, uh, sorry, Julia has those in abundance, and we welcome her enthusiastically. A native of uh, Zelaz Novus, Novo, Zelaz, Zelaz Novodisk, I believe, D-H-E-L-E-D-N-O-V-O-D-S-K, Russia, Sarkova, debuted, debuted, oh my lord, I'm so sorry, debuted as a, um, at age eight, with, debuted at age eight, with the Moldovan Symphony Orchestra, now on the violin faculty at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. She has studied at prestigious institutions in the United States and abroad, earning a master's degree at Juilliard in 2006. Among her many achievements, she has won major competitions and performed at festivals and recitals nationally and internationally, has conducted master classes at the University of Iowa School of Music and, and, and in Alabama, and performs with the Ariana String Quartet in St. Louis. See more at juliasakarova.com slash biography.html. She also has a tie to Eastern Iowa, as a child in Russia, she performed for several visiting Cedar Rapids Rotary members. So moved by her artistry and potential, they arranged for her to come to the United States to receive needed medical care and have forged a close relationship, a close friendship through the years. I'm honored to be welcomed as concertmaster for Orchestra Iowa, she said. It's an extremely... It's an extraordinary opportunity to join Maestro Hankowitz and the incredible musicians of Orchestra Iowa. The personal connections with Eastern Iowa make it all the more meaningful and energizing. I look forward to becoming a part of the community. Tonight's pop concert begins at 7.30 p.m. at the Paramount Theater, 123 3rd Avenue, uh, S.E. Find details at com. She'll later take a classical step forward toward during Masterworks concerts April 20 at the Paramount and April 21st at the Coral Center for the Performing Arts. Um, there is, a, accompanied with this article, is um, another, is a photo of um, Julia um, with a, a violin in her hands. Um, below this article is one titled Judge won't move trial for man accused of fatally stabbing Devana Walker last year. Pre-trial publicity wasn't pervasive and inflammatory. Uh, article by Trish McMahaffey for the Gazette Cedar Rapids. Um, a judge will not move the manslaughter trial out of Lynn County for a Cedar Rapids man who is accused of fatally stabbing a woman at his doorstep last year because there is um, quote-unquote, insufficient evidence of actual prejudice based on pretrial publicity. Sixth Judicial District Judge Jason Besler 
in his ruling filed Wednesday, said there isn't enough evidence at this time to show that potential jurors in Lynn County have formed opinions regarding the innocence or guilt of Shane Teslick, 38, to the extent that a fair and impartial jury can be selected. The publicity in this case has not been shown to be pervasive and inflammatory, so that justice prejudice must be presumed, Bessler said in the ruling. Teslick is charged with voluntary manslaughter and disorderly conduct, epithets slash um, threatening gesture. He is accused of fatally stabbing Devonna Walker, 29, of Cedar Rapids. John Bruzik, Teslick's lawyer, argued last week during a hearing that his client couldn't get a fair trial in Lynn, Lynn County because of the hundreds of social media posts and videos made about the incident, which contained false and inflammatory information. Bezler, and his ruling said he had received the social media postings and videos, which varied in content about the incident. Some postings were memorials for Walker, others promoted rallies or protests that were going on because Teslick wasn't initially charged after the stabbing. There also were posts that simply presented facts, but there were some that were inaccurate, biased, and advocating for charges to be filed. The most uh, quote-unquote problematic video was one shown during last week's hearing, Bessler said, and intermingled actual news coverage from TV stations with commentary from the person who made that video. It was labeled Chilling Video of Racist Neighbor. It calls the offense murder and claims dogs attacked Walker. The focus of the video was getting justice for Walker, the judge said. Bessler in the ruling said there was no indication how many potential jurors within Lynn County saw it. It was published January 18th, 2023, after the fatal stabbing on January 2nd, 2023. The social media news reports don't constitute pervasive and inflammatory coverage, Bessler ruled. There didn't seem to be a concern raised by Tesla regarding traditional media coverage, and the court didn't observe any basis for a complaint. It quote-unquote appears that coverage has been factual and accurate. Uh, the primary complaint from Teslik was the social media coverage, but both Teslik and the p- prosecution stated there is no Iowa law regarding social media coverage regarding the nation for change of venue. Uh, Betzler said they will call enough potential jurors for trial so they can dismiss or strike any jurors who have opinions about the case, but he expects the number to be small. Teslik can reassert his request to move the trial if there is evidence that comes out of jury selection to show he can't get a fair trial with an impartial jury, according to the ruling. According to a criminal complaint, Deslick, who is white, had called Walker, who is black, an abusive racial epithet, epithet or slur because she charged at him, pushing Teslick's wife to the ground. Walker then struck Teslick twice on the side of his face before he stabbed her, the complaint stated. Teslick was provoked by Walker's assault on him and his wife, and he acted out of sudden, violent, and irresistible passion. According to the complaint, Teslick didn't regain control or suppress the impulse to kill and used the knife he retrieved from his home and stabbed Walker once in the left side of her chest. An autopsy showed Walker died from one fatal stab wound, and alcohol and drugs were in her system. At trial, Teslick plans to claim he had the right to defend himself in his home against unlawful entry by force of another, according to a motion he filed last April. In that motion, he also said he had the right to defend himself against a forcible felony, uh, first-degree burglary.
continuing on to page two, uh, page A3, there are two articles. The one at the top of the page is titled Domes at Harding Taft Schools Reopen, uh, article by Grace King. The domes were closed in October as a safety precaution. Um, the last of four domes closed last year at Cedar Rapids Middle Schools for safety reasons um, reopened Thursday following months of repairs. The domes at Taft and Harding Middle Schools were closed in October and students were moved to other parts of the building as repairs were made to deteriorating wood beams supporting each dome. There are two domes at each of the schools with 16 beams supporting each dome. A dome at Harding Middle that houses the gymnasium reopened Thursday, marking the completion of the project. The second dome at Taft was completed at the beginning of February, and classes finally returned to normal. On October 11th, Cedar Rapids Community School District office officials announced the evacuation and closure of Taft's East Dome after an inspection found it was unstable. Two weeks later, the district announced it was closing the second dome at Taft, 5200 East Avenue um, in W, and both domes at Harding Middle School, 4801 Gulf Street in E. The two middle schools were constructed in 1965 using the same design that features two domes. The closure of the Taft and Harding domes impacted more than 1,000 6th through 8th grade students in the schools. For months outside the schools, fences surrounding the domes was, surrounded the domes with signs that read, Do Not Enter. As a recommendation of engineers, construction crews created metal fly swatters, metal plates made of red iron steel that resemble fly swatters to shore up each beam. Crews from McComas Lucina Construction of Iowa City worked for almost four months to install metal plates to the wooden beam structures and then weld them to metal anchors attached to the concrete footings around the domes. Each metal plate has 25 screws that were then welded AC, AC channel a AC channel, basically a metal rectangle, attaches the metal plate to the metal anchors attached to the concrete footings. Combined, these weigh 500 pounds each. The wood that made up the columns were removed and replaced with a steel tube. We won't have a problem with this part of the columns ever again. I can comfort to police say the base of the columns will outlast the rest of the buildings. Uh, Chris Gates, Cedar Rapids School Buildings and Ground Manager, told the Gazette in November 2023. As repairs were made to the domes, band and orchestra students at Taft practice, practiced in the school's front entryway. Lunch was eaten in the hallway in some classrooms. Physical education classes were held in the library or outside when the weather allowed. Classes also met in portable classrooms outside each school. The domes were repaired with funds from the district's physical plant and equipment levy, a capital projects fund for the purchase and improvement of grounds, uh, purchase construction and remodeling buildings and major equipment purchases, including technology. The district does not yet know the final cost of the project. This fall, voters in the district will be asked to consider extending the physical plant and equipment levy for an additional 10 years. This vote will go to voters in September. The district will ask for $1.34 dollars for every 1000 taxable uh, 1000 of taxable um value, valuation creating between 10 million dollars to 12 million dollars in revenue for the district
That includes the 33 cents the district is allowed to spend on its own. If approved, the extension would not raise the existing PPEL tax rate. However, it, will, it still wouldn't create enough revenue for the district to build new schools, but it is important for maintaining buildings. The PPEL funds support the maintenance and upkeep of the Cedar Rapids School's 425 acres and 2.7 million square feet of building space. This includes building maintenance and repair, parking lot and asphalt for playgrounds, preventative maintenance with planned equipment, purchases and faculty repairs, projects that provide for safe and secure schools for students, investment in vehicles and buses, improved energy conservation efforts. In the last decade, more than $100 million in PPEL funds are spent on infrastructure in the district. The district keeps an online record of the projects completed with PPEL funds at crschools.us slash departments slash operations slash building crowns slash physical dash plant equipment slash levy. <laughs> um, all right. Below this article is one titled Planned Parenthood. Iowa bills create more barriers to care. Article by Tom Barton for the Gazette Des Moines Bureau. Uh, Iowa Republican lawmakers are advancing bills that would give unborn children stronger legal protections, allow health care providers to refuse care on the basis of religious beliefs and moral convictions, and make it easier to fund pregnancy resource centers that console, counsel against abortion. Abortion rights advocates on Friday decried those legislative efforts, asserting the legislation will create additional barriers to care at a whole time when the state faces worsening health care outcomes for mothers and babies and a shortage of health care workers. Supporters contend the legislation provides additional support for pregnant women and their babies and further protects unborn life. Iowa faces multiple health crises, yet Republican lawmakers are focused on medically unnecessary and harmful legislation that only further sends the state down a dangerous path that has already deeply cracked the foundation of Iowa's healthcare system. Maisie Stilwell, Public Affairs Director of Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa, told reporters during a news conference. This week marked the first legislative uh, quote-unquote funnel deadline, where most bills must pass out of a committee in either the state or House or Senate to remain eligible for consideration during going forward, though there are exceptions. Among the bills, lawmakers advanced personhood and wrongful death. House filed 200 and advanced personhood and wrongful death. House file 2518 would allow civil court action for the wrongful death of an embryo or fetus at any point in pregnancy. House uh, study bill 621 makes the unconsensual causing of death or serious injury to an unborn a person, quote unquote, a class A felony. It also assigns personhood to embryos and fetuses from the moment of fertilization. Critics called the bills. Excuse me, God. Critics called the bills an attempt by conservatives to enshrine the concept of "quote unquote" personhood, the belief that life starts at fertilization, into state law, while ignoring already existing medical malpractice laws. They also expressed concerns with how much a law might impact access to contraception and affect embryos created through in vitro fertilization, causing spillover effects into other areas of reproductive health. Medical providers would, could refuse services that violate beliefs. Senate File 2286 would allow any health care provider, faculty, 
facility or insurer to refuse care on the basis of religious beliefs and moral convictions without fear of retaliation. Providers could deny procedures they deem violate their religious values and insurance companies could deny claims post-service on the same basis. Healthcare facilities would still be required to provide emergency medical services to all individuals as required by federal law. Tom Chapman, executive director of the Iowa Catholic Conference, said the legislation is meant to protect medical providers from discrimination, punishment for exercising their fundamental right of conscience. Group representing Iowa nurses and physicians said there are already legal protections for doctors to exercise their conscience while balancing the rights of patients to receive proper care. Requiring schools to show fetal development. House File 2031 would require school pro- schools to provide instructions on the development of pregnancy. School Students in grades 7 through 12 would be required to be shown a computer-generated rendering or animation that shows every stage of an embryo and fetus's development using an anti-abortion rights video as a model. Republicans and anti-abortion rights ad- activists say the video provides uh, a medically accurate animated representati- representation of fetal development. Planned Parenthood and others dispute that. They note the information and views contained in the Meet Baby Olivia video referenced in the bill runs contrary to these those accepted by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Representative Ann Osmundson, um, Republican uh, Volga, said many of the facts in the video came from the endowment of human for the human development citing the organization's stated commitment to neutrality on all con- controversial bioethical issues i don't see that that i don't see that is one-sided osmundson said this bill is about teaching children the basic facts about human development in a approachable way postpartum medicaid expansion House Study Bill 643, Senate File 643, and Senate File 2251 would extend postpartum Medicaid from the current 60 days to 12 months, but significantly lower the income cap so the law remains budget neutral, meaning fewer pregnant Iowans would be eligible for Medicaid coverage during the and after a pregnancy, though eligible ones would receive help for a longer time. Making it easy to fund crisis pregnancy centers. House File 2267 and Senate File 2252 would make it easier for the state to funnel $2 million to pregnancy resource centers that promote childbirth and discourage abortion. The state has failed twice to find a third-party administrator with at least three years of experience managing a statewide network of providers of pregnancy support services. The bill would allow the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services to administer uh, the program directly, the state still could opt to contract with an administrator, but the bill removes the requirement it, the requirement it have three years of experience managing a similar program. Abortion rights advocates oppose state funding for the pregnancy resource center, saying they mislead women about their options and misrepresent themselves as legitimate medical providers. Supporters, including the Iowa Catholic Conference and the family leader, 
said the bill provides needed adjustments to the original law to allow the stalled more options for maternal support MOMS program to move forward and provide more meaningful assistance and support to new and expecting mothers. Representatives for the Family Planning uh, Council of Iowa and Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa said the bill reduces transparency by removing the requirement for program administrator and subcontractor criteria be published on the Department of Health and Human Services website. Behind-the-counter birth control. Lawmakers also advanced legislation to the House floor allowing access to birth control without a prescription. House study Bill 642 would allow pharmacists to distribute self-administered hormonal contraceptives without a prescription to those age 18 and older. The order would cover oral birth control, vaginal rings, and patches, but would not include drugs intended to endorse abortion. Pharmacists would only be allowed to dispense an initial three-month supply at a time. They would undergo training and have the patient take a self-screening risk assessment and perform a blood pressure screening before giving out birth control. Following that initial visit, Iowans could receive up to a year's worth of birth control, but after 27 months, they would need to see a doctor. Supporters, including Planned Parenthood, say the measure would provide better access to contraception for women, thus leading to fewer unplanned pregnancies and reliance on government assistance programs. Planned Parenthood bills ex- exacerbate healthcare deserts or des- ex- bills exacerbate healthcare deserts. Iowa is one of four states in the nation to have significant increases in infant mortality rates from two- 2021 to 2022. At least 34 maternity units have closed since 2000, leaving rural Iowans less likely to access care. A 2023 report from the March of Dimes found a third of Iowa's countries are quote-unquote maternity care deserts, that they have no hospital birthing centers or OBGYN providers. Uh, Pat Magle M-A-G-L-E, Jones, a retired rural family practice di- Iowa doctor in I- Goodness gracious. A retired rural family practiced doctor in Iowa said new bills pushed by Iowa's Republican-led legislator haven't fixed that problem but have made the medical landscape very scary for doctors and dangerous for patients. Doctors in Iowa increasingly are facing medically unnecessary restrictions that tie their hands, putting them in the position of either choosing their medical license or violating their code of ethics, even facing criminal charges for providing necessary care, she said. Tori Cunningham, a fourth-year OBGYN medical student at the University of Iowa, said if Iowa keeps pursuing anti-abortion policies, the state will continue having trouble attracting and retaining doctors. The politicians proposing these dangerous bills do not have medical expertise, Cunningham said. The last place that they belong is in an exam room. Okay. Um, looks like we only have time for maybe two more articles um on a4 for nation and world um the largest article is in the uh, top left corner it's titled putin critic navalny um dies in russia prison draws outrage from world leaders toward russian president article by the associated press alexei uh, Navalny, 
who crusaded against official corruption and staged massive anti-Kremlin protests as President Vladimir Putin's fiercest foe, died Friday in the Arctic penal colony where he was serving a 19-year sentence. Russia's prison agency said he was 47. The stunning news, less than a month before an election that will give Putin another six years in power, brought renewed criticism and outrage from world leaders toward the Russian president who has suppressed opposition at home. After initially allowing people to lay flowers at monuments to victims of Soviet area repressions in several Russian cities, police sealed off some areas and started making arrests. More than 100 people were detained in eight cities, including Moscow, St. Petersburg, Murmansk, Murmansk in the Arctic Circle, Krasnodar and uh, Rostovondon in the south of Russia, according to the OVD Info Monitoring Group. Shouts of shame were shouts at um, quote unquote shame were heard as Moscow police rounded up more than a dozen people, including once it was a sign reading "Killer" near a memorial to political prisoners. The group said. But there was no indication Navalny's death would spark large protests, with the opposition fractured and now without its guiding star, as an associate put it. Russia's Federal Penitentiary Service reported Navalny felt sick after a walk Friday and lost consciousness at the penal colony in the town of Karp and the Yamalo-Ninets region about 1,200 miles northeast of Moscow. An ambulance arrived, but he couldn't be revived. The cause of death is, quote-unquote, being established, it said. Navalny had been jailed since January 2021 when he returned to Moscow to face certain arrest. After recuperating in Germany from nerve agent poisoning, he blamed on the Kremlin. He was convicted three times, saying each case was politically motivated. Hours after his death was reported, Navalny's wife, Yulia Navalnaya, and made a dramatic appearance at a secretary conference in Germany where many leaders had gathered. She had she had she said she had considered canceling, but then I thought what Alexei would do in my place and I'm sure he would be here, adding that she was unsure if she could believe the news from official Russian sources. But if this is true, I want Putin and everyone around Putin, Putin's friends, his government, to know that they will bear responsibility for what they did to our country, to my family, and to my husband. And this day will come very soon, Navalnaya said. Navalnaya? N-A-V-A-L-N-A-Y-A. Praise for Navalny's bravery poured in from Western leaders and others opposing Putin. Navalny's health has deteriorated recently and the cause of death may never be known, but many of them said they held Russian authorities ultimately responsible, particularly after the deaths of many Kremlin foes. President Joe Biden said Washington doesn't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something Putin and his thugs did. Navalny could have lived safely in exile but returned home despite knowing he would be imprisoned or killed because he believed because he believes so deeply in his country and Russia. And Germany Chancellor uh, Olaf Scholz said Navalny has probably now paid for this courage with his life. Standing beside Scholz, Ukrainian President Volodymyr, Volodymyr Zelensky, whose country is fending off Russia's invasion, said Putin doesn't care who dies in order for him to hold on to position, onto his position. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said Putin was told of Navalny's death. The opposition leader spokeswoman Kira Yarmish said on X, formerly known as Twitter, 
that the team had no confirmation yet. Russia's main state TV channel interrupted its newscast to announce the death, while their broadcasters carried away terse reports. Um, and this is, attached to this article is a photo of a woman um, with a, in a coat um, in a crowd of people in a similar attire. She carries a photo of uh, Navalny. Um, it's captioned, a woman holds flowers and a portrait of opposition leader Alexei Navalny on Friday during a protest in front of the Russian embassy in Berlin, Germany. Russians, Russia's prison agency said the imprisoned opposition leader has died. He was 47. The federal prison service said in a statement that Navalny felt unwell after a walk on Friday and lost consciousness. Um... That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I'm your reader, Catherine Davis. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Again, if you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. That's 515-243-6833. Thank you.